Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, how's your spring going? Yes, spring has sprung. So many of us are starting to get a little more training juju going, me included. Uh, I think, my opinion, that means we're thinking about our bodies in a different way. Like instead of the off-season recovery, which if you kind of consider this the beginning of this season, it's been a really long and awesome (laughs) off-season where you might just be managing the moment. Like, hey, what am I going to do for a workout today? I'll do this or that or whatever. Now we're looking at ourselves like a little more like high-performance machines. Like, okay, I'm not going to just take one day at a time. I'm going to plan my week or my month or my entire training cycle. So I think it's like we're, we're more high performance at this point in our lives, right? At this time of the year. Um, our bodies are capable of so much. It's insane. I think most of us know this, but most of us never quite reach our potentials. And I think it's largely because we don't know what we don't know, especially about fuel and nutrition. The information out there is overwhelming, Sometimes it's hard to even figure out how to get started. Today, you will meet one of the most fun nutritionists I know. Her name is Dina Griffin. She's also known as the Nutrition Mechanic. That, in fact, is her website. Dina is a board-certified sports dietitian and registered dietitian nutritionist. (laughs) It's like a mouthful. Uh, She's based out of Boulder, Colorado, so we got to do this interview in person. Super fun. Uh, She consults with all levels and abilities of endurance athletes, and she does this locally and nationwide by fine-tuning their daily nutrition strategies that helps people optimize their health. Um, And she helps with training and competition strategies for maximum athletic performance. Some of her specialty areas include, this is interesting, female athletic health, type 2 diabetes, weight management, and metabolic efficiency training, which we're going to talk about today. She takes pride in treating each athlete with a personalized approach while aiming for a sustainable, and what she calls it, instead of like a diet, a sustainable diet, because diet's kind of like a weird word, right? She calls it a food approach, a sustainable food approach that works within each person's lifestyle. And here's the cool thing about Dina. She's not a student or a lab rat who doesn't really understand what it's like to be an athlete. Dina is a competitive endurance athlete herself. She's completed over 10 marathons, including Boston, the Leadville 100 Trail Run, the Comrades Ultra Marathon in South Africa, Ironman, several other triathlons, ultra runs, and cycling events. She is chock full of knowledge on all sides of the spectrum. What you may find frustrating is that her belief is that there is no formula that works for all. So that can be frustrating because it means you have to figure out what's your customized personal formula. Um, But what you may find exciting is that you can tap into your own personal formula through testing and uh, other methods that we talk about today so you can create your own recipe for success. Um, I'll be honest, I think I left a lot on the table when I was a pro athlete. I never worked with Dina or anyone like her um, to, to help me figure out my best food approach for my everyday life and for my racing. We're so lucky today that there's so many resources out there. You don't even have to live near someone. You can do all of this virtually to help us reach our performance potentials. And I think Dina Griffin is one of them. Before we start the interview today, I also want to remind you that what you wear during your racing and training matters too. Uh, My best testing results, whenever Skirt Sports is working on new styles, fits, or fabrics, 
is if I finish my workout and I forgot I was even testing anything. If I don't notice it, that's the goal. I promise that all styles we offer at Skirt Sports have been tested to that level. Unnoticeability, we're gonna make that a word. Unnoticeability is the key. So be sure to check out our spring and summer styles. Use the code RUN20 for 20% off at skirtsports.com or at our Boulder store. Okay, now let's get Dina Griffin on the show. If you don't say poo-poo, you're not actually talking about things in the world of nutrition, are you? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we do talk poop often. Oh my gosh, what do you, like, okay, who's we? Well, you and me, <laughs> the, the amazing athlete in front of me. Hello, let's talk about poop. <laughs> so this is so awesome because we're totally recording. Dina, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for Actually, having me. This is like the perfect segue into the show. So pooping is important. Poop is important. Poop needs to happen on a daily basis, right? <laughs> it's just a part of our existence, right? But it's so stigmatized I talking know. about the poop. Yeah. But it does tell me a lot about who who you are as a as an eater. Oh, that is so funny. I know you guys had to see her face right there. Um, but seriously, when I was uh, a pro athlete, we went through this little phase where we found this woman locally who was doing enemas. Okay. Have you heard of that? Like a sports enema mm -hmm. thing? Yeah. Well, I've, I'm aware of the newer coffee enema oh thing. you know it wasn't coffee it was what like, was that to clear you out or i don't know if you was this legal were you no, it's totally legal by no it was um so it was like for hydration i think okay but we went to this like office in south boulder kind of east boulder there was a office where she had all these tables they weren't in the same like you had your private room yeah. it's not like everyone laid down together and pooped and it was the weirdest experience because you literally sort of laid down and just let it go into like a you know at the old dentist when they would have that flushing water yes. thing you'd spit in it and it was constantly flushing that's yeah. like it but then she would come through after your like first poop and she would look at your poop and tell you about your poop. Okay. Which was sort of weird and didn't feel all that comfortable. Is this normal? Um, you know, <laughs> there are bits that I'm a little concerned about. <laughs> I'm wondering if she analyzed with some equipment or it was just a visual. I think assessment. it was a visual. Okay. And then she said, I can do some manipulation on like your stomach and she would okay. do that or not. Yeah. But it just felt weird to be like letting it rip while somebody's in the room with you. It's, it makes us very vulnerable right. to, to poop amongst others right. and then have another person assess it. I, I mean, know. it's getting in the nitty gritty for sure. Okay. But it can tell us a lot about malabsorption or, um, you know, the regularity aspect. Yes. So they have the Bristol scale you're familiar with. No, like, I, I don't know anything oh, about, is that a poop a, scale? A Bristol a poop, poop scale. scale. Okay. It's a fun Google moment to, I know, I love that <laughs> I'm with this. Nicole DeBoom talking about quality just, of poop. Yeah, we got to go for it. So, yeah, but so there's a scale and the, the visual of the scale, you have to look it up because it's, humorous in the medical sense like little drops like a you know deer, like a deer? Okay. poop mm -hmm. versus a big pile of you know nasty like softer poop or nasty, whatever yeah, yeah like a big squashed thing um but so depending on where you are on the scale it can reveal some clinical um indication that maybe there are some deficiencies even from a nutritional standpoint or some gut dysfunction yes. so it's fascinating to look at okay. what comes out the other end okay you guys let's just stop for a moment and let you know <laughs> that Dina this is what she does for a living not analyze poop I mean that might be a little part of it but I really don't know but um she knows a lot about bodies and a lot about nutrition and a lot about eating and um, drinking and filling our bodies with the things that are going to help us perform best, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so since we're on the poop topic, let's just finish this one off. Okay. So how do you spell Bristol so people can look at oh, the yeah. scale? B R 
I-S-T-O-L. I'm sure everyone is dropping what they're doing right now to go Google that. Hit pause. Google it. We'll be back. Um, Because like being constipated is one of the worst feelings in the world Mm -hmm. for anyone. And I don't experience it often. We would like aim for having this phenomenon. I think we called it BTS, the break the surface, right? (laughs) break the surface of the toilet water oh my god this is so dumb but um but it meant like you got a good one in in the morning Mm -hmm. right and i i have felt like i am someone who if i don't go in the morning i often have this thing that i call in quotes here missing my window like i've missed my poo window for the day is that normal? It's it tends to get suppressed for whatever reason. And I don't know the science if there is any Nicole about or behind that. Um, but I can relate on a personal note. Yeah. You know, if it's not happening within X number of minutes, well, we'll try tomorrow or right. it's just not gonna happen. And is it healthy? Like what's the healthiest I don't know, cycle that people would go through. I mean, are you expected to poop once a day or a whole bunch of times a day or what? I know that's funny because we used to think once a day is quote unquote, I'll use the air quotes, normal. But now we know um, with this appreciation of each individual that some people are the quote unquote normal with three times a day or it may be every other day. So a lot of that is pretty um, pretty variable and individual. Mm-hmm. So there's really not a single, you know, perfect okay. BM frequency. frequency. Yeah, yeah, got it. The BM. Frequency. So I think it's one of those things you have to measure within yourself. You know, you kind of know what your own habits are and what yeah. feels comfortable or, you know, normal for you. Right. And then use that as your baseline. Okay, so as we are, you know, we're going to get into other topics, I promise. But um, <laughs> but this one's just such a fun one because it is stigmatized. No mm-hmm. one likes to talk about it. It's not, it doesn't smell good. Right. So it's not like you're like, hey, you guys, I just had an awesome poo. And like everyone's celebrating. Unless you have that poo-pourri. Oh, poo-pourri. Poo-pourri. Oh, that stuff is amazing. I'm serious. I have a friend. Um, her name is Jen Smith from Alaska. And we did a retreat in Costa Rica. And she, we were rooming together. She goes, don't worry about it. I brought the poopery. And I thought, yeah, right. It's not going to work. It totally works. Yeah. And that's, should we segue to that? Yeah, let's segue. Well, it. so is that you spray it before you poo-poo or yeah, after? Before. So it's providing a little aroma, shall we say, mm-hmm. that offsets the other aroma from the poo-poo right to make for a pleasant this is so great well wait so really maybe a good segue would be that what we're talking about and we opened with was this need for us and our bodies to find regularity Mm -hmm. and that helps us feel healthy and cleansed and you know maybe we can even segue into the kinds of um how to keep how to become regular if you're not regular like for instance i'm eating this really delicious new zealand soft licorice mm-hmm. and i pulled it out and said oh i have to have something to eat and then i said dina you better analyze this yes is this going to make me regular i you know i i wouldn't know for sure it would contribute to regularity <laughs> but it is an herbal Mm. I mean, licorice is from a plant, so you would think, well, there's something um, very natural about licorice. Of course, they... they this one isn't re- real licorice, this though. This one is it's not. Sugar so and wheat. Retract that statement. <laughs> Retracted. <laughs> if you have some aversion to gluten, perhaps this would make you run to the toilet because mm. it does have gluten. Um, so I don't know that the licorice that's not the real deal licorice would help mm-hmm. all that much with regularity. And I get that. But you know what a really good topic to segue to is, is the number one ingredient in this, which is sugar. Mm. I haven't talked to someone on the show yet about this word sugar, this like devil, evil, you know, blasphemous word. Like, tell me about sugar. Is it as bad as they say? Why are we drawn to it? Like, what's up Mm -hmm. with sugar? That's a loaded question, right? I think we have to put context around it to determine where to go. 
um, I mean, in and of itself, how is it any evil, more evil than, I don't know, you know. Another carb? Yeah, right. It's So it's how it's used. Is it added sugar? Is it excessive for certain people? Um, maybe for athletes, right? We have value, right, for performance, but then some athletes don't do well with excessive sugar in terms of GI distress. True. Or tolerance. True. Um, well, maybe so. maybe we could talk about like the different kinds of sugar and what might actually be okay to use. For instance, if you're an athlete or you're training, what sugars, or maybe they're called something else, are we okay with and what should we try to avoid? Okay. Again, so there is, even with that very excellent question, there's still some loaded <laughs> pieces behind it. Yeah, I imagine. Um, so what we know in terms of performance for athletes is that multiple sugar sources are best. Instead of just glucose, for example, which is one of the monosaccharides, um, you can only absorb so much at one time. So it's better to have more than one just more than just this one type of sugar to maximize that uptake. Okay. Um, you know, so for some athletes who require, and I'm sure maybe you can speak to this personally, um, with your performance and athletic history, um, just that some athletes require high calorie amounts per hour. So if we can only do one simple sugar glucose, we're going to hit a threshold beyond which we won't um, absorb much very well. So that can lead to some negative effects like GI distress. So usually if you look at a lot of the engineered sports nutrition, you'll see a source of glucose, but then you'll also see other sugar sources like um, maybe fructose or sucrose, or you'll see maltodextrin. And there are 20 other types that you may, might encounter. Um, so some of that is individual in terms of that response, you know, and then how, what are your needs per hour, which is dependent on intensity right. and duration. So it gets, you know, a lot of layers to it. Okay. Um, I'll pause so you can direct yes. me where to go. No, and I'm I'm taking it in because I actually think that the world of endurance nutrition has changed since I was racing at that level and taking in those kinds of products every single day. Um, so I'm going to get educated by you today, which is really cool. But what I found was that I could try to have an equation but every race was totally different. Is that right? And it depended too on the heat, mm -hmm. the humidity, the time of day, yeah. um, my period, yeah. where I was in my cycle. Yeah. If I was super fit or sort of fit, like when I was super fit, I actually think I needed less food, okay. less calories. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Maybe I was burning more efficiently. But what I learned as an athlete was it was more like I had to just learn how to listen to what I needed that day and know that I might need this, but if I took too much, that wouldn't be good either. Yeah. So it was always a moving target, which is frustrating. I mean, yeah. do you think that's normal? To, to some degree, especially for elite pros, right? I think there is a little fudge factor. You know, we have guidelines in what you've practiced, hopefully over and over before, you know, a race or world championships. But then what does the day bring? You know, right. what if you swallowed extra water in the swim or it is 10 degrees hotter than what you thought it was going to be? Drop a bottle. You know, there's so many of the unforeseens that we have to have a backup plan for. So I think even when it comes to recreational athletes, you know, we do our best in training to come up with a really solid plan. But like you're alluding to or mentioning, um, where is the race taking place? So what's that environmental stressor, set of stressors that we need to account for and then adjust hydration, electrolytes, calories. And you bring up a great point um, with 
women and female physiology is accounting for menstrual cycle variations and how hormones affect our needs. So back to what your your original comment was, Nicole, I think, um, gosh, we do our best to get pretty close. You know, maybe it's within... 30 to 50 calorie per hour target, you know, like 150 to 180 calories per hour. And here's what it looks like. But I'm of the um, practice that I always set up a backup plan, like plan B, Nicole, is this. And then plan C is just do whatever the heck you have to do (laughs) to get to the finish line without blowing. I love that. So I think it's an area of frustration for sure because we want especially if we're type a you know (laughs) we want the precise plan but it just i mean life you know it's not right so when do most people blow it in their race do they not take enough at the beginning or is it at the end when they're like oh the finish line's only four miles away i'm just gonna stop taking anything and you're like that's the dumbest thing you could do but in the moment you can't even think Right. Yeah. So, do they blow it at the beginning, or do they blow it at the end, or is it's all over the place? <laughs> I think for real. I mean, yeah. I've seen all cases. Like you feel amazing, so you back off on your plan, you know. And then, especially for hydration, it can bite in the butt. And maybe you can speak to that as well. Not. I don't know if, what you want to share from your background, because um, I don't know your personal experiences yeah. with nutrition or hydration yeah whole story but I would say um I have seen it all you know where it's too little in the beginning and then trying to catch up and that doesn't work so well either you know trying to force too many calories or Mm -hmm. too much fluid maybe that seems obvious for for most people um or the flip side right like oh we're in the home stretch there's only four or five miles left let's back off you get distracted or your brain's a little foggy anyway Mm -hmm. um but sometimes we're still needing a little more to get it to get things you know to our finish line strong yes you know um i think like the big thing i remember about my nutrition was consistency was most important And you don't wait one hour to take your first bite of food or your first calories like you might actually do on a training ride, Mm -hmm. which is irresponsible because in a race you need to start earlier and it doesn't have to be the whole thing. It can be a sip or a little bite or a little, you know, gel. Right. And it's that sustained energy that you, if I would take that in the whole race and follow it all the way to the last mile, even take the last mile aid station, still take it. That's mm-hmm. when I had my best results. Okay. You know, it was consistency, yeah. right? Yeah. But then there were the X factors of, oh my gosh, my stomach's getting all distended. I think I'm going to throw up and I can't keep stuff down. Mm. You know, that you just have to kind of learn how to read those signs. Right, right. So what are the, like, how do people learn to read those signs? Do they have to bonk first sometime at some time in their life to go above and beyond into the black hole of pain to know when they were hitting it you know what I mean some people yeah I think especially if you're not working closely with a coach or maybe a diet sport dietitian to have that second set of eyes yeah you know you have to feel some pain just like in training you know we we have to go to sometimes very hard deep dark places that hurt before we realize okay we need to adjust or maybe this is part of the learning process um, but you know, I, I would always go back to what did you do in training? So did you practice race nutrition at race intensity, your goal, race intensity or Watts power, whatever you use? Um, how much time did you give that in training? And we can get kind of sort of close right it depends on weather you know that's another variable we can't do much about especially Mm -hmm. if you're racing in hot humid and you live in cold dry um but i think a lot of times too what i see nicole is uh what was i gonna say like an over an assumption that more is better 
for calories and fluid. And that's not always the case. Uh, and this goes to that one, you know, there's not one size fits all and that will mm-hmm. spiel. Like, oh, oh for there's sure. so much variability. Yes. I mean, that's what makes this whole process crazy is mm-hmm. that it truly is 100% custom. What works for one person will not work 100% for another. Yeah. But, you know, there's another part of this that you mentioned or we stumbled upon without iterating exactly. And that's that you don't know what you don't know mm. until you either experience it or someone tells you and um, or gives you advice. So my very first longer distance triathlon back in 19, I don't remember, 96 or something. Yeah. Um, it was this race in Illinois called the Springfield Iron Horse. Okay. And I was like, I'm going to go do this thing. And it ended, it was kind of like a little shorter than a half Ironman. And it ended with a 10 mile run. And I was doing great. I was like 22 and I'm just doing great. And then I hit the run and I had eaten a grapefruit for breakfast. Like I didn't know that I was supposed, I was a swimmer. We didn't eat big breakfast. We just went to swim practice, Right. right? So I literally had not really eaten. And I don't think I drank anything with calories the whole race because I didn't know. And it was summer, And it was right? summer, and, and I didn't know what I didn't know. It's so stupid yeah. looking back. You're like, that's the dumbest thing. And I'm walking eight of the 10 miles, and someone was like, wow, well, you should take some of this Gatorade they have at this aid station. I was like, really? And I took a little bit of calories, and boom, it kicked mm-hmm. in. And finally, I realized, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you're supposed to eat calories out oh here. Oh, my gosh. But, I mean, the whole thing about, like, we can guess all we want yeah. with our race nutrition, with you know other things in life, with our general nutrition. We can make uh, guesses based on what we hear in the media, like carbs are bad, mm-hmm. fats are good. You know, you're not getting any protein if you're a vegan. You know, blah blah blah. Like, I think it's important for for us to maybe get some baselines here. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't assume people know everything, right? Right. Especially when we're talking for the athlete. I know a lot of your listeners are athletes, right? It doesn't matter the level of athlete. Let's just call all of us athletes here. And even if you're not an athlete listening to this still for health and longevity, You know, there are a lot of things we may think, like you're saying, we may think we're doing the right thing, but we need some sort of objective um, assessment to really get a handle on that and feel confident in our choices. So how do we make those assessments? So, well, you know, I'm a big fan of blood testing. Cool. And if... Yeah, if you've ever met me before, and we've talked about this, like I always mention blood testing. Uh, It's such a cheap way to figure out what's going on, at least get some insight to determine, okay, maybe if you are following a certain kind of dietary pattern, or you've just switched to another pattern. Um, But let's say you are thinking of Ironman or some endurance event, adding another layer of stress on the body on top of what we already all have in our lives. Um, a blood test is a really inexpensive way to get an insight, you know, like pop in the hood, so to speak, to see what's going on objectively. Okay, so first barrier, people are gonna say, well, how do I even, do I have to go to my doctor and I don't even have a primary care physician? Mm, like, where do I go question. do this thing? Yeah, so, You can go to your doctor, although I'll be honest that some docs um, may not run the right blood work or just not know the athlete needs, especially for female athletes. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you've got a sport sport doc in your, you know, in your hood or in your circle, that's a great, a great person to seek out or at least ask other training partners for a recommendation. But the beautiful thing is we can order blood work off the interwebs and and really then take that blood work um, to another health professional who's trained to read it in, you know, your context. 
So you can, like there's online kits they'll send you and you draw your own blood? No, you wouldn't do that. You okay. would you would order, <laughs> I know, that would be maybe I would freak crazy. out though. I don't know how I'm going to draw my own blood. <laughs> okay. So unless you're in a couple states here in the U.S., you can order off of um, some reputable websites. Okay. I don't know if you want me to name names. Yeah, give us some um, resources. Some examples would be econolabs.com we have directlabs.com um there are companies that specialize in this for athletes Mm -hmm. so their um athletebloodtest.com is actually a local colorado company cool anyhow you would order from chosen company and they send you an email with the order to take to your local lab okay so then you have to go find a lab so do you just look that up on the interwebs as well yeah awesome and you walk in and you give them the little like order form order you've already prepaid and it's a lot cheaper than running if you have health insurance it's a lot cheaper to pay out of pocket this is like a little inside tip because going through insurance companies for one they don't often approve markers that athletes need okay what are some of those markers you want to make sure you get perfect um so ferritin which is a marker of stored iron is a very important one um of course you'd want to have your cbc complete Mm -hmm. blood count and a comprehensive metabolic panel cmp those are usually included with standard blood work um i'd say if you're a pretty you know, serious endurance athlete, we'd want to look at B12. And that one, if you are following plant-based nutrition patterns, um, folate is another one, magnesium, you know, it, it starts to get to be a long list if I had my druthers, you know, what I would love every athlete to check. Now, can you personally uh, write the order for blood work? I don't. Okay. I don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. But you can consult with the athletes so when they're ordering, they can request mm-hmm. certain. Okay. Got it. And then, Nicole, I think it gets nitty gritty. Like, well, who are you in terms of diet, dietary pattern you follow, age, um, male, female, Got what it. are your complaints? You know, are you suffering some way? You know, and then we can add on a slew okay. of other tests if we need to. So here's the here's the second barrier. So I'll give my example. I got some blood work done. My ferritin was 5.7. Okay. And the range says 1 to 200. So the blood work was sent to my um, OB-GYN who ordered it and they're like your blood work looks great everything's Mm. in the range so i said can i please get a copy of my blood work so you have to ask right yeah so i got it and tim my husband was like uh uh, red light like your iron is super low so then i finally went to a different doctor who was much more in tune with what was going on so here's your second barrier you get these results they're going to give you medical ranges for like the average person or whatever right and how do you know if there's a flag right as an athlete i know so you either have to do your doctor google and construct your query really well okay like what you're looking so what would that look like no seriously take us through that like uh let's see well (laughs) i would i would if you are doctor googling can i is that a verb let's google googling yeah doctor (laughs) google (laughs) <laughs> Which I really don't recommend because we can get down Got serious rabbit holes. But I would say, you know, enter in something like um, uh, evidence-based ranges for ferritin for female runners or something. Okay. Like get really specific. Uh-huh. And then whatever site you're visiting, let's check who who is authoring that site. Got it. You know, if it's someone trying to sell you supplements or right. just hokey pokey. Okay. Thing, then I would not I would just re you know, back out of that process and go somewhere else. So here's another question. You offer services that would help. You personally do, right? I do. In your business. I was trying not to shameless plug. Oh right my off gosh, the bat. let's plug you. Okay, so how do people <laughs> find you if they're like, All right, I need Dina to read my blood work because she's the one who's gonna tell me what I'm on and off with. 
Well, yeah, my uh, my website, nutritionmechanic.com, that's me. But truly, just to give props to all my colleagues, a sport dietitian, CSSD, is a credential. Truly, most, I would say, the majority of sport dietitians can take your blood work, assess you, who you are, what your issues are, your goals, etc., and then give you recommendations or send you on for further work or um, assessment by an MD. Got it. So what happens when you then discover that, let's just use my example, your iron's super low Mm -hmm. and you have been a vegan for a couple years. Like how do you start to swing? Do you go to like, hey, give me a transfusion of iron, you know? (laughs) Wrong word. Yes. Okay. I thought, yeah. I Primarily, thought you were yes. Mostly plant based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a few years. A couple years. So, yeah. Okay. Um, for one, I just want to say thank you for bringing that point up earlier that if you are an athlete and you're having blood work run through a standard, like general physician type office, you're so right that your blood work can look normal. That's compared to the sick population, right? So thank you for bringing that up because it's often um, overlooked by athletes who have blood testing and then they're told, yeah, you're fine, you know, but it's not optimal. Right. It's That's only what it is. compared to being sick. So, and we're looking to be our optimal selves as athletes or, you know, just active people. Um, so I would say, keep that in mind if you do go through a doctor and um, just take a second look or have someone, a coach or a dietitian, somebody look at it. Okay, now what was your question? Well, I think the question becomes then like, what do you do with this information? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know Especially you're low. Especially if you're plant-based. Yeah, and it, or, might, it could be iron, it could be D, it could be B12, it could be whatever. Right. D is another one. Um I'm always of the notion like food first approach. So what if I were involved in this process, you know, I would look and see, you know, what are you eating for your typical day? And um, in the case of iron and plant-based patterns, you know, I would look for um, nitty gritty things like well what iron sources are in your nutrition which I'm sure you've been through that already Um, but that's the process that we follow or I would say we follow rather than just dumping a bunch of pills and powders is like well what can we just eat more of that has iron for example pumpkin seeds Um, you know a lot of plant sources of iron also have um compounds that interfere with iron absorption so we get we can get like pulling our hair out like oh shoot I'm eating this I'm eating leafy greens which are a nice plant source of iron however they also have compounds that can inhibit some iron absorption so we have to get creative with food combinations you know maybe it's adjusting the time of day you eat certain foods um I know I'm kind of skirting around your question and not giving a real specific there, Um, but if you are low in a mineral or perhaps um, maybe a vitamin as well, then I would say let's try the food first approach before we, you know, supplement. But I will say, Nicole, that's supplementation is, is sometimes an easier step for people to, you know, take an iron supplement in this case um, especially if you are on the very low side you know and you've got a big season ahead of training or just some big events coming up um, that little boost or supplement can just jump start the process of repletion or restoring yep so I'm not anti-supplement I just I don't sell supplements I just like to educate on what makes sense to do and pick the most sensible route and it sounds like with the food first that's your sustainable lifelong approach perfect you know and yeah you might need the jump starters but i know 
don't know very many people who would want to be on like a medicine or even a supplement their entire life. I know. You know, you want to try to solve what's going on and move on from it. Mm -hmm. So I totally get it. You know, let's move on a little bit to another service that you offer that I wasn't very aware of or, you know, maybe I just didn't think about it in this term, but um, you do different physiological testing. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I never did that stuff as an athlete. Okay. Yeah, it's not something most athletes know about or else, you know, they're, they know about it, but it's like, well, what good does that do me, you know? Right. Um, so I think looking more into one's physiology enables us to take some of that guessing game out. So in the context of athletes, um, we can do a few tests in using a metabolic cart. So this gets kind of nerdy. Stop me if I'm like, you know, your eyes are glazing over, you're losing it. Um, we can look and see how your body, for example, uses fat versus carbohydrate okay. in at different exercise intensities. What that allows us to do, like what's the point of it? is refine a fueling strategy for training and racing. Um, so our body, ha I'll just talk a little yeah. bit more about this testing. So our body uses two sources of energy, fat and carbohydrate, but it will use them at different proportions or amounts depending on exercise intensity, depending on what your daily nutrition looks like. Some of us are more carb efficient and some of us are mm -hmm. more fat efficient um but you know i can hear about your diet and do my best guess in assessment but until i put you on a metabolic cart on a bike or treadmill or both you know i i don't know until i see it so how does your body let's say if you're running i don't know an eight minute mile um how does that compare in terms of your energy use to you know, maybe a seven minute mile or six minute mile, or for some, it might be a 12 minute mile. It, you know, just where are you in your training? And then let's figure out the paces and, and resistance and all that, that pertains to you. Um, but the data show us how many calories you burn. Are you burning more fat than carbohydrate? Or are you a carb burner? You're going to deplete your glycogen stores pretty quickly. Um, with all of that data, Nicole, then we can get nerdy as we want and, and then refine a fueling strategy, um, which could mean, shoot, you were under fueling by hundred calories per hour because you, you zap through your carbohydrates pretty quickly. No wonder we weren't feeling so good by, you know, two and a half hours into a, a very long run. Or perhaps we see the opposite, like, gosh, you are very efficient at using fat as an energy source, even at higher intensities. So you could probably back off on your calories per hour because you're not, you're not zapping your glycogen stores or that. Wow. And stored. can this like change? Can you, so, you know, I am often, I often hear you need to train your body to burn fats efficiently and then your metabolism will increase and you'll get leaner and all this stuff, right? But I also imagine that that swings a little bit. Like the more in shape you are, do you burn more fats? I don't know. Yeah, it's a combination mm. of training strategies or your programming with training and your daily nutrition. Got it. Um, so it's both, you know, some say the nutrition piece has a larger influence, but I think some of that's, some genetics, you know, muscle fiber type. It's more than just nutrition and how much you train. You know, there's some other pieces there. Um, yeah, that's a whole other, I know. could be like four hour oh conversation. Gosh. Well, this is so cool though. So if people are like, I really want to get nitty gritty and like you said, nerd out on this and figure out how my body's burning because then it's going to tell me what kind of food to put in my body, right? It can help direct what our daily nutrition should look like or maybe give us clues to um, 
yeah, how to adjust daily nutrition depending on what the goals are. Okay. Yeah. So I see a lot of ultra runners do this testing or Ironman athletes. So athletes that are out there for hours and hours, you mm-hmm. know, training, and then the race itself can be very long. Right. Um, but would it yeah. have a benefit on the average person who is going to run a half marathon or, you know, going out for a 5K even? Would It can. I'd say it's a little maybe not as pertinent, but it's definitely, again, giving objective data. Got it. Especially if you've been struggling. Yes. You know? You're right, because one of the things that I struggle with, too, is in a lot of different diets or eating philosophies, people just be like, how do you feel? You look great. And I would, I never, I don't love those questions or that way to analyze what's going on in your body because it is not objective. And it's anecdotal, right. and it can just change by your mood even. Totally. Right? Yeah. And so to have like the blood markers and maybe hope, maybe even the physiological testing, you know, that stuff gives you a real clear picture. Mm-hmm. Wow. For sure. I think when you said earlier, like knowing what you're, knowing your body and knowing how you feel, I think a lot of us forget to check in with ourselves you know, even for some who change, I think you called it um, dieting philosophy. I I love that term, and I like dietary pattern instead of diet. You know, yes. but like, well, what is it that's prompting you to change your nutrition in the first place? Really digging deep with that, if like you are, psychologically, yeah, or just doing a little systems check. You mm. know, are going you going back to our first topic? Yes. Are you constipated? Exactly. <laughs> or you know, thinking of energy levels, fatigue. Yeah. Your sleep is erratic, and or you maybe you um. You know, you're a snacker, grazer, and you you don't like your dependency on having to eat every 24 minutes or whatever it is. Really set doing that check mm-hmm. with yourself. Um, and then if you are changing your nutrition pattern, go back to the same questions, you know, a couple months in. And really, along with the objective data that you may collect, you know, that self-reflection is super important. Um, so you have that baseline and then you have that ongoing monitoring. Just like when we train, right, mm-hmm. we're ch- looking at some of the data there and reflecting on True. improvements in performance. Um, yeah. So having a journal or something that, you know, goes along with a little more, I don't know. I get it. I get what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, totally. definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, let's move into, we talked about these um, dietary plans or eating philosophies. Yes. So there's a lot of them. Okay. There there's a lot of them. Um, I was first, I first remembered, I think I was in high school when Snackwells came out. Oh, I remember And it was like, yeah. yeah, you should eat no fat. Mm. Remember, it was like the no fat is good. And, but you, we would eat a whole box of Snackwells. Oh, yeah. And they were all sugar and disgusting and whatever else was in them. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. And I then the same thing. Yes. And then like Atkins happened and they like, they like changed industries because suddenly people thought carbs were bad. And they even like, I remember Noodles and Company changing their menu to offer options that didn't have noodles, but that's mm-hmm. the name of their company. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was impacting businesses, this fear, right? Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a fear-based thing. And since Atkins, I mean, there are so many out there. There's vegan and paleo. I wrote a bunch down. Keto, Whole30. There's Pegan. What's Pegan? Pegan, yeah. Um, Then there's like 5,000 cleanses. Then there's this intermittent fasting thing. Like, can you educate us on some of this stuff? Because oh people gosh. out there, I know that people listening are like, I got to shake things up. I want to try something. What should I try to help me figure out how to eat in a way that's better for me? I know we need to be careful. So some of these diets or dietary patterns you mentioned, I'm just looking, you know, a lot of them are based on some science. Some of them are like cleanse oriented, like the whole 30, 
not really cleanse oriented, but it's the point is to remove a whole bunch of potential allergens or foods that might be aggravating your system or your well-being. Remove, you know, these 10 things. Do 30 days of not eating those things and then reintroduce slowly, for example, dairy. Okay. Um, what do you notice after one week before you introduce the second thing and the third thing? And that, you know, the point of that is somewhat to teach you, okay, you were eating everything under the sun, so to speak. Um, you don't you don't feel good. That's why you're doing this. So let's remove these elements, reintroduce slowly and strategically. Pay attention as you do that and see if you notice an irritant once you reintroduce. Um, so there's a little purpose behind this, like the whole 30. Um, I'm sure the creators would say there's a lot of purpose behind it. My my issue with it would be, um, you know, after the 30 days and after you reintroduce, then what? You know, so you really have to learn you really have to give your all to get your all out of a plan like that. So I'm not a big fan of the very short term. Well, and is it, yeah, it's not sustainable. Right. I mean, and I've had, I've encountered other folks who've done Whole30 for 10 days, right? Because they can't live without the 10 things that you remove. So it wasn't a, a smart uh, plan for them to follow to learn about their bodies right so I think that's where things like paleo or vegan or some of the other strategies can come in because you do take out some things but you you may not be at quite as limited it's not like this short term you can't eat you know this or that right. it's more sustainable depending on your preferences if you want to eat animal proteins or not um, but you take out some things that we know just aren't very beneficial, like a lot of added sugar or processed foods, for example. Um, so I know, I think the origin of some of these plans or dietary diets, <laughs> dietary diets, <laughs> some of them have some good points behind them but I really think this comes back to what is it we're looking for you know asking ourselves rhetorically what is it we want to achieve what prompts you to think you need to change so do you have objective markers to say "Ooh, you know maybe I should go plant-based because I'm you know this my inflammation markers are too high or you know I'm just I realize I'm not eating enough vegetables whatever that system and discovery process is for you I think then can lead hopefully like what you're saying Nicole we find something sustainable instead of the short-term fad-ish you know maybe borderline unhealthful plan that doesn't support the longevity or health as the yeah, foundational piece totally i want to hear your story like what's your food story how did you get to be passionate about this oh yeah uh that's fun <laughs> <laughs> or not you know, or I'm it a, is so i'm a career changer i can't remember if i mentioned that to you when i first met you um i got into nutrition for two Okay, well, this isn't my food story, but it's my nutrition story real quick. Two reasons. One was my dad had a terminal cancer. This was years and years ago, 20-some years ago. Um, and I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Indiana, so Midwest girl too. But we ate a lot of not good foods way back then. And when he got cancer, um, he... We, he changed his nutrition significantly. And long story short, he lived seven years longer than what they predicted. Um, so I wasn't in nutrition at the time, but my eyes were open to the power of what, nutrition. What did he change? He ate 
far more vegetables, got rid of a whole bunch of processed foods, you know, the packaged, refined Mm -hmm. carbohydrates, cleaned it up, um, just... You know, Did he limit just, dairy and meat too? He definitely changed intake. I don't think he was doing much dairy, maybe some cheese, yeah. you know. But yeah, yeah he, he definitely just, it's like a cleaning up, so to speak, mm-hmm. of um, that. So that just opened my eyes like, wow, this totally makes sense, right? Um, so that was interesting, the power of food and how that can affect our well-being and longevity and maybe with regard to medical conditions or terminal conditions. What were you doing at that age, you know, 20 Uh, years ago? I was a software nerd. Oh, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? I was a consultant working with a software company just doing, yeah, consulting, basically. That doesn't sound very Uh, awesome. I'm sure it was, though. (laughs) But so then I moved to Colorado, Nicole, and started running more out Ah, here in this beautiful state of ours. Here it comes. And um, did a few marathons. And then I had my sights set on qualifying for Boston. And the coach I had at the time, again, I wasn't quite in nutrition yet, um, but he had me do some... Um, training nutrition and and basically a race nutrition plan that ended up not faring very well for my bowels and stomach during this race where I was trying to qualify for Boston. I had a lot of stomach cramps and basically it was just not a good outcome. Um, and, And I had been a fan of running and you know reading all the magazines for you know all the all that stuff um and i realized geez there must be something more to this sport nutrition realm that i'm not getting so that just piqued my interest more in conjunction with what had happened with my dad you know like oh, let's i want to help myself but I also think it's time for a career change to do more human work you know human oriented work than software work so that's kind of how I got into the field umpteen years ago oh my gosh well and it started with you know your baseline diet being you know Mm -hmm. something that you were actually started paying attention to yeah I mean, I've heard amazing stories like your dad's, which, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still sad, but like he was willing to make that change. So you, I could see how that was uh, in your subconscious. And then, you know, as you go along, did you ever have like eating issues or eating disorders or anything? Mm -hmm. No, No, that's not. Yeah. Luckily, that's not in my background or history. So it was all about like, I just got to figure out how to be able to perform better. And then boom, maybe I can turn this new passion into a career, which is a whole nother topic. Yeah. Yep. And I, you know, I thought maybe I would go into oncology to help other cancer patients. And I worked in a hospital for some time alongside private practice doing some other one-on-one. But um, there are a lot of barriers in our current medical system with regard to nutrition and that's a whole other topic but I got very set back in my hopes to make a dent I I don't know I I think I let the system you know Mm. take me down instead of trying harder in that in that context so um my next thing was sports nutrition especially here in Colorado we have you know, a lot of active people. And luckily with my work these days, Nicole, I can work with active and athlete people all over the world. Oh, so yeah. you don't have to be here in Colorado. Especially with your software background. <laughs> ah, the nerd factor. <laughs> well, okay, a couple quickies. So what's the worst and best I don't know, results or stories you've had from racing? My own? Yeah, like it doesn't have to be a result, but like what's kind of your biggest flop and your biggest success out there? And from a nutritional either point? Oh, gosh. Just, you know, something that, stories. Give us a couple stories. Um, Let's see. I mean, I don't, ah, you're funny because I don't tend to bring, talk about my own 
things much. That's what we want to hear. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I would say if I can think of a flop, I mean, that that marathon that got me into this field, I would say was a flop because I basically overdid it on calories. And I mean, I was chugging concentrated Endurox. No, oh, Accelerade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Concentrated and like way overdoing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a no-no. Again, I wasn't in the field yet, but um, that was a problem. So I think my Boston Marathon was one of my most favorite races just because I had an excellent um, nutrition, hydration strategy going into it. And, you know, the weather was great that year I did it. It was kind of chilly. Um, I was at my peak fitness. I had worked really hard for that race, and it was a PR for me. And it's not like I'm a super fast runner, but I definitely – gave it my all. Um, so that was a while back, but then, you know, I got into some ultra runs and things, which is a whole other, uh-huh. whole other ball game. It Le- certainly is. Leadville oh and, my gosh. um, comrades. Marath- oh, that's, that's but- major. Oh my gosh. So here's another quickie. Um, if people want to bring real food in a race, <clears throat> all right, we're going to video you now. People want to bring real food into a race, right? Not just energy gels and, you know, uh, energy bars. What do you recommend they bring? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Real food. We can eat real food during races. I think some of that depends on your gut, right? But we have things like rice balls or like Dr. Lim you know, the portables, those can work really well for some people. Um, date, little date-based nibbles. Um, I mean, there are folks doing like baby food pouches, you know, like it's just a few fruit puree. Um, there's so many options these days. I think it's lovely. I think it's lovely too. But it depends, right, on how hard you're going like the intensity and then the logistics of uh, carrying food, you, you know, like the pack that you're wearing or if you're right. resistant to carrying some, some athletes oh. are like, I don't want to carry my, wear my belt or carry. Oh yeah. You know what you do? You buy skirt sports and you buy one of our products <gasps> with like pockets 17 pockets and then you shove stuff amazing. in them. Amazing. Okay, we've been going for a while here, so it is time to wrap it up. Um, so let's just let's go into our last question that I ask okay. every guest, which is if you can give our listeners one final piece of advice to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Oh, I love this question. I think every day we should find room for laughter. And I'll use the word giggle time or phrase, I think sometimes we get so serious and wrapped up in the nitty gritty of everything that having the ability to laugh with others or even laugh at ourselves in a very gentle, you know, and gracious way is uh, something we all need to remember to do. I love that. I love it. We had some giggle time today. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Nicole. So fun. That was definitely a fun episode with a lot of information from the Bristol stool chart. Yes, I did stop to look it up when I was re-listening to this episode. I'm sure you have to. Uh, to our discussion about metabolic testing and some online resources so you can get out and take initiative of your own health. Uh, to Dina's personal story and why she's so passionate about helping other people. I love that at the end of the day, she focuses on laughter. I support this concept 100%. (laughs) Fake laughing is one of the ways to get to real laughing, which is one of the ways to create more positivity in this world and change your life. So don't discount it. Um, To learn more about Dina, check her out at nutritionmechanic.com. 
And don't forget to use the special Run20 code on all things Skirt Sports as you gear up for an awesome training, racing, and adventure season. Okay, then, that's it for today. Now you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.